0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you uh, to the Waddells for reading our passage this morning out of uh, Advent, out of Isaiah chapter th- 36, which reminds me of uh, reminds us of the story of Christmas. There embedded in the Old Testament is the story of Christmas. The fact that out of the desert will come one that we can take courage and fear not. It reminds us of the Luke 2 passage where the angels say, fear not. There is no... Fear in the perfect love of God. And in the midst of the desert, God comes and brings this one. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of the God will come, but he will save you, it says. Then the lame will leap in the desert. The deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. The waters will break forth in the wilderness. A highway will be there. A roadway will be called the highway of holiness. It will change the lives of people. And so the story of Christmas is the story of hope. That's our series uh, this next few weeks. And I'm going to teach this morning out of Luke chapter 2. And then um, uh, Bill's going to come next week and finish our teaching out of Luke chapter 2. And then we'll gather together on Christmas Eve and hear the story again of why we believe in a light. Why is there light coming into the world? Why do we need light today? And uh, so that passage will come, uh, that teaching will come out of Isaiah. But for some, this morning, I just want to remind you of last week and then jump in to our text for this morning, our passage this morning, reminds us that Christmas really is the hope for the season for, for life. Because Jesus breaks through as light into darkness. And we're going to talk about how that happened this morning. And I just have a couple thoughts on that. But what we're going to discover in our Luke chapter 2 passage is that the gospel is hidden in the story of the coming of Christ. Right here in this passage, we're going to discover the, the gospel. And the gospel, as we know, is the good news. It is the best news. And we, we, we understand the gospel. We live by the gospel. The gospel uh, directs our lives. And we find it here in this passage in Luke chapter 2. And this is the passage that describes that famous scene where we find that the angels have gathered, the angel of the Lord and the, the choir and the shepherds are out in their field and they see this bright light. And they're told that this is going to be good news. And the Lord shines around. There's this powerful light that enters in to this dark evening as the shepherd are tending their sheep. And the question this morning is, what difference does that make for us? I mean, we understand this scene historically. It happened. We know it happened. But it needs to transcend this first century scene and must enter into our lives. That's why it was written. It should have power and it should control the direction of our lives. And so we're going to hear this story again out of Luke chapter 2. So let's talk about light in darkness. And let's let's take a look at this passage. So in Luke chapter 2, it begins with this decree from Caesar Augustus. And we looked at that last week that there was this decree and, and each person was told to go to their hometown and, and to register. And the reason why that's important for us to know is because this is the historical setting in which Christ came. It was a dark time. Israel was now subjugated under the control and power of Rome. And the census was really about taxation. Find out who's out there and determine how much tax we can collect. And so these people, these Jews living in Palestine, didn't have the freedom and autonomy to live as they pleased. They were told what to do. They lived in a totalitarian state that, that de- determined the course of their life. And so it was a dark time for people. There was tremendous poverty. There was difficulty. They were subjugated. And that we talked about that last week, that dark setting... And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in as the light. And we understand that the great theme of the Bible is the beginning with Genesis all the way through the end, all the way to Revelation, is the story of darkness when light, and then light breaks through the darkness. And the darker the light, the brighter the light. The darker the dark, the brighter the light. And the stronger the darkness, the more powerful the light. That's true in our story. That's true in this context. It's also true in your life. The greater the darkness, the brighter the light can shine. And so we're going to look again at this passage. So so Mary and Joseph head to Bethlehem. And then it tells us the story. They were there to register, but they're engaged, and she's with child. And she's about ready to give birth, and when when the time was complete... It says for her to give birth, she gave birth to her firstborn in verse 7. She wraps him in cloths, lays him on a manger because there's no room at the inn. And that's the beginning of the story. Sounds very common, sounds very plain, sounds very basic. There's no fanfare, there's uh, there's no name and lights, there's nothing. It's just simply a common birth in Palestine in the first century, happened all the time. Thousands of them. And here's just one more. But yet there's something unique about this story because the next verse tells us that after the common birth of the of this of the life of Jesus, it says, in the region, the shepherds are out in the fields, they're keeping watch over the flock, the angel of the Lord suddenly appears. And the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. The gospel, euangelion. Good news is simply pronouncing news about something that happened in the kingdom. It's happened. Something just happened. And it's good news. Happened all the time. There was a euangelion, a pronouncement of good news. Something had happened. A king was born. A king just became coronated. A king just became king over some nation. And in Rome, happened for the Caesars. The euangelion was they were now king over the empire. And so this good news happens, which will bring great joy. Notice, there's joy that comes with the pronouncement of the good news of the birth of this child. And then it says, which will be for all people. It's not just for some people. It's not just for the citizens. It's just not for the wealthy. It's just not for, for, for some individuals. It's for all people of all the world. Joy will come because of this good news. It, it's, do you see what's going on here? It's setting something up that's big. Very, very important. And then it says, for day in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared the angel and a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. you imagine that? So the shining of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, the shepherds are there, the light, they see it, and then all of a sudden, what appears is an an angelic host, a choir, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And what I want you to see this morning is not only that Jesus was born into a world of darkness, Jesus brings healing to the darkness, and he does it in two ways. He does it in the first section by being born into the darkness, but by by second in his humanity, just as a human being. But second of all, in his divinity, he brings healing to the darkness, and you need both. You need a, a human Jesus that is born into the likeness of every other birth, but then you need him to go far beyond that, to be divine, to bring full healing to the darkness we all experience. And therein lies the gospel story. Light eradicates the darkness. That's the gospel. If someone asks you, what's the gospel? What's the good news about Jesus? Light eradicates darkness. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ in one short phrase. He breaks through darkness. He takes darkness upon himself as a human being. And he brings healing to it. He eradicates it by being divine. And so we're, we're going to look at the humanity and the divinity of Christ this morning. The Christ child is both human and divine. And we need both in order for it to be good news. You can't have one or just the other. It has to be both. He has to be purely human and purely divine in order for him to be effective in eradicating darkness in the world today. And we live in darkness. And so the first one is this common birth, and it's the firstborn son. Wraps him in cloths, puts him a major. And the first thing that we see in this humanity is look at the text. A family from Galilee, an outlying city, Travels by donkey to Judea. Jesus is born into nothing. He has no money. These are marginalized people. Um, There's no beachfront property ownership going on in the Sea of Galilee, and they didn't own one of them. They had no resources, no power, no position in society. What a picture of the brutality of his birth into total vulnerability. And we know his life was... In the Matthew account, Herod is actually after him because he understands the prophecies that Jesus is a king, not just a normal human birth. That there's something about him and his life is pursued and they have to flee to Egypt for a period of time in order to save the Christ child from a mad Herod the Great. And so in this text, we start with the humanity In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, literally, Paul comes back to this and looks at it and says, As Christ ascended, he also descended. And there's this ascension and descension of the Christ. And what Paul is referring to is the great incarnation. Jesus taking on human flesh. And he had to descend to the lower parts, which is the earth. God stooped low. And the reason why God stooped low was to take on the darkness of humanity. And if he did not do that, he could not take on the darkness of humanity and solve it. He first had to become human. In the Philippians chapter 2 passage, it says that, uh, that, that Christ, who is from God, Jesus... Empties himself. It says literally, it's, it's the great kenosis passage. Kenosis means to empty. It doesn't mean to empty as in lose. It means to set aside. In other words, Christ who came from God sets aside his divinity in his humanity in order to be fully human so that he could accomplish what he came to do. Does that make sense? That's the clearest way I can explain it. The deity was no longer on display. His humanity was. So that he could take on, as the beautiful uh, song that um, Fernando Ortega sings, frail flesh so that he may die. He takes on frail flesh. That's the humanity. Dorothy Sayers wrote a very, very interesting little short um, story entitled, The Greatest Drama Ever Staged. She talks about Jesus, calls him Jesus bar Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth, and, and describes his humanity as his body and his brain. They were common man. His personality was the personality of God, but he took on the personality and expressed humanity in his life. And she talks about this. And then she says this about the humanness of Jesus and why he had to do it. A lot of people say, well, I can't relate to a God. I can't relate to God because God is so much higher than us. He's way beyond our understanding. So there's this this separation between our perspective of God and our humanity, our humanness. And God breaks through that misunderstanding, that difficulty for us by becoming human. And Dorothy Sayre says these words. She says, now, this is not just a pious commonplace. It's not a commonplace at all. For what it means is this, among other things, that whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. And what Dorothy Sayers is pointing out is that she argues against one of the greatest skeptic questions of all times. We can't relate. What God is asking us to do is not something that he's asking himself to do. That he is looking down on poor humanity and its brokenness. And he doesn't understand our situation. But in fact, when Jesus became human, he fully understood it because he absorbed it in himself. He took his own medicine, the suffering that we have to experience. That's why there's real hope in Christmas, because he took it on himself. That's why Christmas transcends the songs and the the, the smells and the ambiance and all the wonderful things we love about Christmas. We need something more. We need a hope in a real Savior that took on our own suffering. Tommy, when you were in the hospital, you flew to Rwanda to have surgery. And when you were probably lying in a hospital bed in Boston waiting for your surgery, you didn't need a Christmas song. You needed a real hope. You needed to know there was a real God in in the universe, that understand the suffering that you are going through in those moments. And you were waiting for that surgery. I know you well enough to know that you knew of the hope that is yours in Christ, because he became like you. And like all of us in our suffering and our difficulties, Christ took that upon himself so that he could then absorb it and heal it. And that's our first learning this morning is the humanity of Christ so that he could absorb the darkness of the world, absorb the, the suffering that is ours in this world that we experience. The brutal reality is Jesus took on a form as one marginalized, powerless, without resources, vulnerable, rejected, scoffed at, and ridiculed. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 he made himself who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf not on his behalf but on our behalf. He took what our problem was upon himself. And the problem that we all have is darkness. We live in a world of darkness. We experience that we experience the hopelessness of and often the meaninglessness of a life without God. And yet, light shines, breaks through at
1: some point
0: in our lives to bring a hope that we didn't have before. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a great Russian author. He was a dissident. He spoke out against communism in Russia for many, many years. Ended up finally, at the end of his life, moving to America. But at one point, he was imprisoned by the Russian government. And while he was in the gulag, um, he should have died there, but he he survived. And he writes about his experience, and you would think that in this moment that he would write about the evils of communism or the evil of this country that has uh, caused so much persecution towards those that believe in God. But here's what he had to actually say. Here's his discovery. See, we are always looking to blame somebody for the problems of the world, aren't we? We are still looking to blame someone for a virus that came into this world. And somebody's at fault because it wasn't handled. We don't know where it came from. And we want to know all the... And we want to blame somebody. We We are so good at that. And yet what Alexander Solzhenitsyn points out, which is something we all need to understand, he says, Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states... Nor between classes, between political parties, but through every human heart. The dividing line is between is between good and evil goes right through our hearts, through every human heart. And what Alexander Solzhenitsyn points out is that darkness needs light, and it's in it's in my own heart. It starts with me. I need the humanity of Christ to absorb the darkness that is in in myself. And that's why in Isaiah 53, it says that he was a man of sorrows and he took on the suffering upon himself. He became the ultimate scapegoat. He takes the blame of humanness. But I want you to see something else. By the way... I was searching for an illustration of, of of how how do you possibly illustrate how do we possibly bring that to light through a real story and I thought of the tale of two cities it's a remarkable piece of literature and in the this story which is a, has several layers to it the real story behind the tale of two cities is this relationship between Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. Charles Darnay has been sentenced to death. He is, from what they, the government considers, high treason. He's committed high treason. He's in prison, and he's awaiting his execution. Sidney Carton has become his friend. Sidney Carton also looks like Charles Darnay. We've, we discovered that in the beginning of the novel. And in this amazing scene, chapter 13, Sidney Carton goes to prison to visit his friend, Charles Darnay. And he says, quickly, put on my clothes. Don't ask me why. Just do it quickly. We don't have much time. And they change clothes. And Sidney Carton stays behind and allows Charles Darnay to walk out of prison to be reunited with his family. You see, he married a woman that they both had fallen in love with, Lucy. And now Lucy and Charles Darnay are married. And Sidney Carton feels as though this is his final his final gift to the world. This is his opportunity to redeem his life. And he gives up his life and walks to an edu- execution that was pointed towards Charles Darnay. And Charles Darnay walks out of that prison free. That is the story of Jesus taking on humanness, his humanity. And when he is taking, he's taken to the guillotine, there's an old woman, and she's walking with him, and she looks up, and she knows that who he is. She knows that he's Sidney Carton. Not Charles Darnay. And she looks up and says, I know. I know the story. I know who you really are. And if you have the courage and the ability to do what you're doing, can I hold your hand as I go to this execu- my execution? I'm afraid. But I won't fear if I hold your hand. It's a powerful scene of a man who takes on someone else's judgment and dies on their behalf. The second part of this passage is profound because it leaves us, we leave the world of commonality, the human side of things, where we're exposed to the human problem, which is darkness, sin, to now seeing in the light who Jesus is. As the Shepherds meet the angel of the Lord. They pronounce him as the good news for all people. This is the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Do you see how everything shifts? It shifts from humanity now into this scene where we are now exposed to who Jesus really is. He's divine. He's the Savior of the world. He is Christ the Lord. And the angels of heaven come down and the glory to the Lord in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Why? Because the Savior is born. He's not just a human. He's divine. And so we need to understand this, that when we celebrate Christ this Christmas, we are not only celebrating his humanity, we're also celebrating his divinity. I mean, he is the Savior. We need a Savior. And in the first century, as a Caesar was inaugurated... As, as emperor, they were seen as a savior of the empire. And people would put their hope and their trust in this one that was their savior. He brought salvation. Salvation exists in the savior. And Jesus is identified as the savior, not of the kingdom, but of the world for all people. Because he is Christ and the Lord. you see that? There, there's an arrangement here. He's Savior because. He's Savior because he is Christ and he is the Lord. First of all, he's the Christ. The word Christos literally means judge. But it was used uh, in the first century as the writers describe this in Greek. They were referring back to the Hebrew, back to the Old Testament... And curia, or excuse me, Christos is literally referring to the Messiah of the Old Testament. Christ means Messiah. That's what it means, and it brings back all the wealth of knowledge that we have from the Old Testament. I was I was um, talking to somebody a few nights ago at a at a Christmas party about they're reading through the Bible and they've gotten all the way through the Bible and they said, when in the world does all of the judgment And all of this uh, difficulty and struggle, and I said, it it ends right here. It ends in this passage, in the Messiah. See, the Old Testament is about the Jews experiencing this struggle and difficulty, expecting one to come who will be the Messiah, to lead them out, to give them freedom, to bring hope, to, to, to restore them. That's what the Messiah was to do, to be the the solution of the problem. And when Christ came, his name is Christ, Messiah. By the third century, we separate those two. We no longer see Christ and Messiah together. And we need to bring them back together this morning and understand that all of the hopes and dreams of the world, of of the nation of Israel, the whole idea of a Messiah is all bundled up and is pronounced this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one from the Old Testament that we've been prophesying about, that we've been waiting for, anticipating. And in the end of chap- Luke chapter 2, there's only two that go and pronounce him as the Messiah. It's Simeon and Anna. Later, we're going to find in John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes to Jesus at, 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 during the evening and he will because he fears retribution from his own people and i wonder why is it that jesus fulfills all the prophecies born in bethlehem comes from a family in the line of david he identifies himself in every way fulfills the prophecy as the messiah and yet the jews rejected him why did they reject him when he when Everything about him points to the fact that he is the one, the Messiah. Goes back to the first part of humanity. The difficulty of us overcoming and setting aside our darkness and allowing a savior to bring healing to our hearts. It's it's tough. It's a tough place to be to lay down in humility all that you have uh, tried to figure out on your own and to see Christ as the one in the Old Testament. You would think that they would have run to the manger, and yet all we find is shepherds and magi. They should have ran to the the manger and worshipped their Messiah, and yet we see a totally different scene. But he is also not only the Christ, he's the Lord, and the Lord means master. Lord literally means that this is the one in which I put all my allegiance under. Polycarp was a bishop in Smyrna. He was burned alive at an advanced age on February 22nd, 156 AD, because he would not compromise on this point that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus was his master. As the story goes, the police captain and his uh, father asked, what's the harm in saying Lord is Caesar? Caesar is Lord. And to offer him sacrifice or so forth just to be saved. Really, what's the harm in doing that? Later, when urged to swear by the genius of Caesar to revile Christ and to be set free, this is what he said. For 86 years have I been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me now? Polycar demonstrates what it looks like to put Christ as Lord in your life, your allegiances to Christ. And when the angels came to pronounce pronounce this, this is the divine savior of the world, now born in human flesh. We have this beautiful picture of Christ as he now is the light of the world. The gospel is the story of light eradicating the darkness. So what's the impact? What's the difference? Well, how's that going to change things up for you and I this morning? I have two thoughts, simply. Two thoughts about how this is going to impact us. First of all, light in us when we receive Christ cures our s- selfish scarcity-stricken heart to now be a heart of compassion, a heart of love towards others. That this story impacts us in that the light touches our selfish, scarcity-stricken souls. And it changes us from a heart of selfishness to a heart of compassion for people. So it really does have an impact today. Psychologists tell us that if we want to heal anxiety or panic-stricken emotions in our own heart, show compassion on someone else, that there's a relationship between what we give out and how it emotionally impacts us. The second thing that I want to leave you with this morning is in your greatest place of powerlessness, you are most like. Not in your strength, but in your weakness, in your powerlessness. You are walking most like Jesus when you are most vulnerable, weak, impoverished, and helpless. See, it brings meaning to suffering, doesn't it? In your greatest place of weakness, the light shines the greatest. You become more like Christ. And it helps us understand what does it mean to be Christ-like to lean into the powerlessness that we have, that we experience, we associate with Christ who took that on and brought ultimate healing. Let's pray. Father, our desires, our heart's desire is to, um, is to bring you glory, to join the angels in proclaiming glory to your name this Christmas. Because, Father, you allowed your son, Jesus, to come into this world as a human being, fully divine, taking on the darkness of the world and eradicating it because you are the Savior. You took sin upon yourself. And, Father, in that, we pray, Father, that that would touch our hearts. would bring light to uh, the areas that still need the gospel to bring Christ's compassion and love into our hearts where there was darkness. That's what the light does and eradicates that selfishness and brings compassion and love. And Father, even in our suffering and our difficulty and maybe in our pain this Christmas season, we will find great hope because we will be most like Jesus. Thank you, Father. May we grab onto that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: amen. Thank you, Todd. We're going to have a moment here to close and worship and reflecting on the light breaking into the darkness, the darkness that's in the world, uh, but it's also in our own hearts. And God has entered in in Jesus to bring light to the darkness. And so one of the ways we're going to do that is by celebrating communion together. And so right now I'm just going to invite us all um, to stand. And in the back, we've got the elements for communion. And I'm going to ask you to collect elements for communion for yourself and then come back to your seat and we're going to celebrate communion together as a church family. And then we're going to worship uh, in song to get what we're talking about from our heads down into our hearts. So right now I just um, stand, uh, head to the back, collect some elements for communion and, and join us back in your chair in just a moment. as we just saw in the scriptures Jesus is fully human and fully God and he enters into our story to bring light to not just the darkness around us but the darkness in us and so right now before we remember the finished work of Jesus on our behalf i want to take some time just to reflect on that truth for us just create a brief moment of silence here Um, if there's anything that you need to confess before God any any darkness um, that you're just aware of that you haven't acknowledge before God. We're doing this as an exercise of personalizing the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, that we're covered in his grace, every sin, past, present, and future covered. And that's not just a theory, it's actually real for us. And so let's have a moment, just if there's anything that we need to confess before the Lord, any thought, attitudes, thing we did that we know wasn't from the Lord, it was from our flesh, it was from our darkness, our shadow side. Let's just take some time to acknowledge it before God under the safety of his grace. So right now, just a brief moment. If there's anything we need to do, any business we need to do with God, let's do so. God, we're thank you. We're, we're thankful that your grace covers us. And uh, it doesn't just cover us in theory, it covers us in the real nitty gritty of life where we wrestle with the darkness in us. And thank you, Jesus, that your light has broken through and that because you've done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves, we can be reconciled to our God who loves us, and made us for him, and we can become light ourselves um, as we live with you and experience your light. So right now, um, we remember the finished work of Jesus On the night Jesus was betrayed, he he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus entered in. He became one of us that he might bring light to the darkness. And so as we eat, let's do so in remembrance of Jesus. And Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you that every sin, past, present, and future is covered in full in Jesus' death on the cross and in victory in his resurrection. And So as we take right now, we do so in remembrance that every sin, past, present, and future is paid in full. God, we know you love us. We see it nowhere more clearly than on Jesus' cross. And because we know that's true and because it's personal, not just theoretical, we say we love you too. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: I invite you to stand as we end in one song. up. And above all, God, we invite that radical love into our hearts again this morning. So we love you, we worship you, we honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, you guys. See you next week. All Beach gets played.